0: Hey team, I'm Michael Eady, and welcome to the We Believe in Sports podcast, a series centered on the power of sports where we tell the stories of people who have been shaped by sports in every aspect of the game. From athletes, business leaders, coaches, and more, join us as we dive deep into the heartbeat of sports to uncover what about the essence of the game makes us tick and find out why sports can change lives. Today, I'm joined by Kat Whitehill, a former professional soccer player and a 10-year veteran of the U.S. women's national team. She started her soccer career at Briarwood Christian High School in Birmingham and, like me, was a distinguished member of the Class of 2000. She played four seasons at the University of North Carolina, where she won two national championships and was named to the NCAA All-Tournament team four times. She was named NCAA Final Four Defensive MVP twice. All-American four times, and an All-ACC four times. In 2003, she won the Matt Kerman Trophy and the Honda Sports Award. She played for the U.S. Women's National Team from 2000 to 2010, where she scored 11 goals in 134 appearances. While a part of the team, she played for the U.S. in the Women's World Cup in 2003 and 2007, and was a member of the Olympic gold medal winning team at the 2004 Summer Olympics in Athens. Most recently, Kat joined the Alabama Sports Hall of Fame. She now lives in Atlanta with her husband and does color commentary for ESPN and the SEC Network, primarily around soccer. Welcome, Katherine. Welcome to the yeah. show.
1: Glad to be here. It's a lot of fun.
0: Well, let's start off early on in your career. Talk about the first memory you have of kicking a soccer ball, and what kind of made you fall in love with the sport.
1: Well, I have to give you credit for everything. You know, first, <laughs> since we it was since we first played together, you you helped me grow the love of the or my love of the game. Um, no, you you. Uh, I just remember just one day telling my parents I want to play soccer, and uh, just started kicking the ball. And I mean, I. Don't remember exactly why or how, but I just fell in love with it. It was just, um, my mom kept asking me to play other sports as I continued to do it. I was like, no, it's soccer, it's soccer. You know, I did play basketball and tennis just to, you know, for cross training and everything. But she asked me softball. If I pl- if I played softball, I couldn't play soccer that season. So I was like, no softball for me. I want to play soccer. And, and it was just love it first sight, I guess.
0: <laughs> yeah, we're going to get into kind of advocacy for women's sports a little bit later. But obviously, we did grow up together. All joking aside, we played uh, on five-year-old soccer team. Catherine was already better than me at that age. And <laughs> she's continued to be better at sports since then. But you played a lot as a child. You played on boys teams a lot. So talk, talk a little bit about what you felt then as a child uh, and as a, as a young girl and a young lady growing up playing sports and playing on a lot of guys' teams?
1: Um, I mean, I started playing with boys. I mean, obviously you play co-ed when you're really young. But when I started to get really serious, I still um, I play with boys starting in the third grade. And the reason was because I didn't have any of the opportunities to play on a proper team as a young girl. And the only way to play uh, at a higher level Um, I had to play on a boys team. We didn't have a proper girls club team until I was in high school. Um, You know, there was, there were some teams that that I could guess play for, but it still wasn't a proper structure that they have now. Um, And so, you know, I, I, I do think playing with boys at that age really helped me. Um, But you know, I just I, I would have liked to have played with, you know, girls and, and learned together as a team at a higher level at a young age. You know, like um, it's just funny that there just wasn't the the option for me to do that. So you see you see that. Um, so there was three girls on the boys team the first year, first couple of years. And then there was just two of us. Um, and but Jennifer Lewis is the other one, as you know. Yeah. Um, and, cool. you know, I mean, thankfully, we, we both were able to play college soccer and, you know, play on youth national teams, which was, um, uh, you know, credit to those to, to, to playing at a higher level at a young age. So I think that um, I, I'm, I love that young girls can play on proper club teams now in Birmingham, but it just took a while. And um, so, I you know, it's, it's still a long way to go for Alabama in general for uh, especially for women to, to you know, become, you know, better so, soccer specifically because you know basketball you know we're really good in alabama but I, mean, I think i'm still the only person from alabama that has a cap on the national team there might be a girl that's gotten one cap um merit Mathias, but um i'm not sure if she got one i know she's gotten a call up um, but that's it and we need more alabama people to get caps
0: yeah you probably had a lot of people that impacted you growing up um Talk about some of those early people that were influenced, and you it could be family members, coaches, or teammates, and and maybe some of the people that you looked up to as a child.
1: Oh, it was definitely my parents. Um, my mom and dad are just uh, the best, and they allowed me to do um, what I what I wanted. They gave me the freedom. Um, you know, they they had no clue what they were doing. They had no clue during you know for a tryout for their boys' team. They had no clue when I started traveling with the U.S. Uh, youth team and. Uh, they had no clue going through the recruiting process. They didn't know any of. I mean, my dad had a little idea since he got recruited to play football, um, but it wasn't like that. It wasn't back then. It wasn't as much as it was, you know, now. And um, but they were just um, so solid and just um, they're my best friends still. Um, and they were just great role models then. And um, so I mean, it's definitely them. They just encouraged me. They never because I'm a girl, I can't do this. They never saw that, you know. They just were like just allow me to be independent. So it was definitely them as role models, as, you know, people I look up to still to this day, they're, they're the people I look up to the most.
0: Yeah. Your dad actually, you know, was my first soccer coach. He, that, that five-year-old team that we played on together, he was the coach. I can't remember how, how long did, did your dad coach until he decided, Hey, look, it's time for somebody else to do this.
1: Uh, he wasn't there very long. I mean, he, if there was a book for, you know, coaching soccer for dummies, my dad probably picked it up because he had no clue what he's doing. <laughs> I mean, he came out there in his Georgia megaphone and his Georgia, Georgia visor, and he just was trying to yell at us to get in certain places. He didn't, he didn't have a clue what he was doing. So, um, I, I, you know, I was, I would say until the third grade, he, he coached me for most of it. Uh, and then he finally was like, you know, eight years old. That's too much for me. I can't help you here.
0: <laughs> yeah. Talk about any lessons you might have learned as as a young child looking up to your parents. It sounds like obviously they had the greatest influence on you. I, I knew both your parents and they are fantastic human beings and still are today. But what are some things that you learned from them that maybe you're applying to your life now, even, you know, you've had some coaching experience now. So what have you taken from your childhood and your career and some of those mentors early on and applied to to today and in some of your coaching career?
1: Um, Yeah. You know, I've really started to get into coaching, um, which is fun. I'm helping out at Emory. So I'm I'm seeing a lot. um, You know, one thing that I, when I was, towards the end of my career with some of the coaches I was with, I learned what not to do as a coach. <laughs> um, and that's to put someone in a box and say, you must be this way. And my parents never put me in a box. I mean, my sister and I, we are complete opposite, um, but we're still best friends, too. And my parents, um, you know, they knew that, you know, they they treated us differently in a good way you know like they allowed me to be me and they allowed jenny to be jenny and it's the same thing when you're coaching or when you're playing i'm a different player from abby wambach i mean not just because of different positions but we have different skills that we can add to it and um you know i had one play i had one coach say you need to be just like this player and i was like i can't be her i'm cat Whitehill." you know like i've got to play like me because i'll never be that player and um You know, I think that that's so important that everyone gives, you know, something different to the table and that's something you have to learn. And, um, you know, some people like to be yelled at. Some people don't. Some people, um, you know, they just work differently. And how do you communicate to them is different. And so I think that's what my parents always did for us. Uh, They allowed me to be independent and um, never forced me to be, you know, someone that I wasn't. And I just, I appreciate that. And I think that's important, um, you know, in coaching as well as knowing, knowing your team and knowing that everyone is a little different.
0: Yeah. It's, that's one of my favorite things about sports has always been that every individual member of the team brings something totally different. You know, most of my athletic career was a role player of sorts, (laughs) was never the best athlete. You're a great basketball player. Eh, That's a stretch. Uh, but (laughs) It was always understanding that maybe I could shoot decent, but I might have been terrible at defense, couldn't play man to man. So there was going to be games where a team was playing zone. And most of, you know, what I do in today's world and primarily what I enjoy most about my job right now is building camaraderie and chemistry amongst the team at, at our office. And that is when I look back at my athletic career, probably what I was best at was. You know connecting people in relationships and that camaraderie side of athletics i mean i really wasn't the greatest athlete or whatever else i mean i was average and that was fine but found a way to contribute and make my team better and had my own individual skill set so yeah so you move on from briarwood um you are still playing on the national team uh at at the time of graduation which was an interesting story we might dive into that later catherine actually missed graduation to play on the national team which is part of her career and part of her journey, but she gets to North, you get to North Carolina, which is easily the most prestigious school when it comes to women's soccer. Immediately as a freshman, you're part of a national championship team. Talk about that experience.
1: Well, that experience was a humbling one. Um, You know, you come in and I was highly recruited from a a lot of different teams. visited a lot of different awesome places like Virginia, Florida, Stanford, Santa Clara. Um, and you know, Anson comes to my house, you know, to, to visit, and he, you know, shows the the starting lineup for next year, and of course, you know, he says that I'm going to be on there, uh, and so I think, you know, I'm coming into North Carolina, and he get, you know, they give you a packet to do for fitness, and um, I was like, I don't need to follow that packet. I'm good. I know what I'm doing. I'm playing on the national team. I don't need to follow it. Well, I, you know, I say to all, all of you out there that are entering into college, follow the packet, um, do what it says because <laughs> I, um, I was, uh, you know, humbled when it came to fitness testing. I was not as fit as I should have been. Um, the players were stronger than me. They would knock me off the ball so easily. Um, you know, I just, it was crazy when I like my freshman year. And of course, you know, when you first go in there as a freshman, especially someone that had, you know, gone to the full national team at that point, um, they wanted to show me who was boss and they did a very good job of that. And so my whole (laughs) freshman year, um, I didn't, I I didn't start one game until the national championship game. Um, And I was recruited as a defender, obviously. And every game um, until the NCAA tournament, I didn't, I played Ford. I was a Ford, Um, even though I was a Ford in high school, but I was basically the person that uh, gave our um, starting forwards a 15-minute break, you know, in in the game, you know, so they could rest and be ready for the next half. Um, So, I was, um, you know, devastated. Obviously, I was, like, you know, lonely because, I I mean, I had a couple of friends from the team, but, you know, I was missing home, missing uh, my family, missing Birmingham and everything, and uh, just wasn't playing, and, you know, I just – I mean, that was really tough. I mean, that's when I really looked at my, looked to my faith, you know, very hard, uh, during that time. Um, cause my I, 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 didn't even have a roommate at that point. So I was that lonely cause my roommate decided last second to go to Virginia instead of coming to UNC. Um, and so like, it was just, it was really hard. And, um, but I kept working on my skills, like I would say after and, uh, do things on my own, like fitness or, um, still working on, you know, f- footwork and, um, you know, ball work and everything. And, um, finally I got the call in the national championship game, Anson decided to bench one of the Fords, put someone put one of the defenders forward and decided to slot me in. Cause I was starting to play really well towards the end of the year. And in that game uh, I was able to score the game winning goal and win the national championship for the, you know, UNC. So, um, you know, it has a great ending, but not all stories like that has a great ending, but mine was definitely a learning experience for that. And um, you know, I'm, at hindsight, I'm like very grateful because I really learned a lot of who I was during that time. Um, but during it, it was really hard. And uh, but, I, you know, I wouldn't trade that that learning experience for the world.
0: Yeah. So you were coached by the infamous Anson Dorrance. Uh, he's known for his statistical ranking of players. Um, how did this coaching style impact you as an athlete? And maybe how did it compare to some of the coaching that you had had previously to that?
1: Oh, I loved it. I ate it up. Uh, um, I don't think everyone loves it because literally you go to practice every day and you look up, um, and it's, and it's for everyone to see, including other sports, um, you know, who's number one, who's number two, who's number three. So you're, you know, you see your, you see where you are on the list and freshman year I was pretty low. So that was pretty, um, you know, another part that why I wanted to get better. Um, but then, uh, you know, towards, you know, sophomore, uh, junior, senior year, I was one or two for the most part on, in every category when it came to our competitiveness. But yeah, it's a competitive cauldron is what he likes to call it. Um, and so I loved it. And it, it really, it really forces you to, um, you know, really hone in on your skills. And it's a way also to know why you're not playing. You know, if you're sitting there in the last place with one B ones, well, there's a reason why you're not playing because we need you to take people 1v1 and, and score a goal for us. Or you need to be better defensively 1v1. Um, you know, it's long ball services, it's heading, it's, I mean, it's everything. So it's, it's definitely something that, um, you know, it's some people wouldn't like it, but I loved it. So,
0: <laughs> yeah. So from freshman year, not playing, getting in the national championship game to, you know, your senior year, you were obviously one of the more decorated players to ever play at UNC. You were playing on national teams and everything else. Like, How did you stay motivated through that? And how did you manage juggling all the different things that you had going on, including being a full-time student?
1: I mean, yeah, that, that was the hard part. Um, thankfully, I had really awesome friends at UNC. Uh, we I've lived with uh, non-athletes, which I think really helped me stay balanced because it um, would be like, they had no no clue like what I would what I was going through like during like during it all. But they were always there for me, and I wouldn't bring like you know the soccer home with me, so I could just kind of have a a free you know t- downtime when I wasn't in soccer, just to try and get a college experience, be with my really good friends, um, and they they just were a great balance for me there. Um, I mean the spring semesters because I started playing on the full team pr- regularly um, sp- uh, spring of my freshman year. So I started traveling with the national team starting in February. Um, and f- for every spring semester, I think there's like 14 weeks and I would be gone six of those weeks. Um, so I was really only in school um, eight you know, eight weeks at a time. So I would have professors kick me out of their class because they- I wasn't there enough. They were like, don't even think about coming in here. And I had some professors that completely... Uh, lowered it like a whole letter grade because they decided that they didn't like that. I was missing so much, you know, that kind of thing. I had other professors that were amazing, helped me so much and would send me my homework with me on the road. And, you know, we would take tests on the road. And um, so, you know, I was taking a test in Portugal, you know, so I'm like, okay, this is fun. Um, You know, so that was, you know, that was tough, but it was, it was awesome. I mean, I wouldn't trade it. It was, you know, having friends, family and um, my, I met my husband freshman year. So he was there for me the whole time. And um, so that was also key to, to, to help me like just stay balanced.
0: Yeah. So you, you play at this iconic school for soccer. You play for an iconic coach. Do you have a greatest memory in your college career?
1: Uh, I mean, you know, winning national championships wasn't too bad. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. I mean, it, I mean, I have a, like a, you know, I have one of my favorite goals is I just flown in from we were qualifying for, um, the Olymp- Olympics, no world cup. We were qualifying for the world cup. So I was all, all the way out in California. I took a red eye, um, to Florida state where the ACC tournament was being taking place. I bet it, I only lost to Florida state once, <laughs> just so you know, Michael, <laughs> um, and that was my freshman year. So, um. And uh, I, we flew in and I wasn't obviously going to start the game because I hadn't been with the team and I just got off a plane. But I decided, you know, why not just take a shot when I got in there and I was still a defender and I think I scored a goal from like 50 yards out, which was really fun. And it was, you know, in the ACC championship final, which was awesome. Um, so that's a good memory, you know, just, um, you know, obviously being with my team and, you know, was, was so fun. But... Um, yeah, the national championships, you know, winning ACC championships. And um, I remember I was just talking to my dad about this. We were playing an ACC final my senior year, and I had to take a PK, and it was in the last five minutes. Um, and we were tied two to two, and I hit it upper 90 and afterwards you know the the press asked me and they were like what were you thinking when you went up there to, to, to score and i was like just keep it low and anson was sitting right beside me he goes if you're saying that keeping it low is that i don't know what keeping it low really means so it, like <laughs> that banter with anson was always so fun we we started like a book of ansonisms just because he's he's the craziest guy you'll ever meet if you ever meet him uh, don't believe what you see because he's being nice because he is, oh, I mean, he's always nice. Oh, well, not always nice, but he's, uh, he's nice, but he is so quirky. And so like, he's just, you, you don't really get to see that unless you're on the field with him because um, he's just um, fantastic with his Ansonism. So uh, the, the book is pretty, pretty awesome because he has some crazy sayings that you just don't know where it came from. But yeah, Anson was yeah. the best coach I've ever had. So.
0: Yeah. Besides your dad.
1: Besides my dad, yes, yes.
0: Right, obviously. (laughs) Um, So we'll talk about the international career, which is kind of funny because it most of the time you would, in professional, you would think, you know, young kid, high school, college, then international. Your international career kind of started towards the end of high school and went through college and then continued thereafter. But your senior year at UNC, you you missed several games because you were playing for the United States, you know, bouncing around, trying to get ready for the World Cup that year in 2003, you lost to Germany in the world cup. We talk so much about victory and all these great things and what we learn, but like some of our greatest learning experiences come from losses. Like, what did you learn about? What'd you learn about yourself and what did you learn about the team and, and everything else during that, during that loss?
1: Yeah, that was hard. I'm still bitter about that. <laughs> uh, no, not really. Um, you know, you do, you do learn a lot, you know, from losses and, um, I think the the best way to show what our team learned is we all came together and we didn't want to, no one pointed fingers, um, even though, of course, we all point fingers at ourselves because we could have done better. We, you know, Julie Fowdy is still one of the the greatest leaders I've ever had. She just brought us all together and was like, gathered our team and was like, we still have the Olympics to focus on, um, you know, know, type of thing and just trying to find the positives. Uh, I can't remember her whole speech because I was crying through most of it, but (laughs) um, I just remember, you know, just looking at them and. And they, as as hard as it as, as it was, they were like, we've got to, you know, we still have other goals that we need to t- obtain. And then, you know, six months later, we're playing Germany in the semifinal again in the Olympics. And I mean, we could have remembered that game and not played as well because we remembered it, or we could remember that game and learn from from what we how we played against them just you know less than a year ago a year ago. And and we did, and we learned. Um, which is a testament to to the team, and we were able to, to beat them in the in the semifinal. And then, obviously, we won the gold medal that year. So, I think that that's just a testament to you can't just um, you know the definition of insanity doing everything the same and you know getting n- never getting a different result. We had to change us, and we had to learn from us, and it made us better. and And uh, that's why we beat uh, Germany the the next year.
0: Yeah. So playing on an international, I mean, playing for your high school is awesome. You know, you get to play for your school, playing for your college, obviously really cool, bigger audiences, bigger everything. Playing for your country is got to be just a whole nother level of pride. And, and coincidentally enough, in 2003, the World Cup was moved to the U.S. because of the SARS outbreak. Talk about just the feeling of playing for your country.
1: I mean, yeah, every time I would sing the national anthem, I've always felt sorry, first of all, for anyone standing next to me, because I'm a terrible singer, but I would still sing it out loud um, because, it, you know, it means so much to to play for your country. And it, when you put on, you know, the red, white and blue jersey, whatever, it, sometimes we, we even had gold at one point, but there's still red, white and blue in there. Um you know, it, it there's a sense of pride, and there's a sense there's a standard that you have to to have because that the, the women before us, um, they set a standard by winning 91 World Cup, 99 World Cup, 96 Olympics, and um, you know you you, ha- you had all that, and um, I just think it, it's just so special to be able to wave the flag. It's, it was really fun to run around the field with a flag in your arms, you know, just because you're so proud of representing your country, and um, you know we just I mean this it's a fantastic you know, country that we live in. And even with everything right now, um, you know, there's the U.S. is just, you know, it's amazing. So there there is a lot of pride and it was uh, it was an honor.
0: Yeah, you it, it is an honor. And it's such a big, um, just a big thing to be able to do, obviously, is to, to represent your country. Like you've had a very it's kind of funny. The question about losing was I, I kind of chuckled to myself because I'm thinking, like, I don't even know how many times. <laughs> Catherine or Kat has lost. I mean, not a lot, um, not a lot. <laughs> in her career. Most of your high I don't school take games. Well. <laughs> yeah, well, most of your high school games were ten point victories, and so, yeah. uh, which was fun to watch at times. But then other times it was rather boring because it wasn't very competitive. But playing and winning so much, playing on the national team, like how how do you stay grounded in in all that?
1: Um, well, I mean, my you know my faith is so important. Um, you know. My family helped me. Robert, my husband helped me. My friends helped me. You know, it's just, um, you know, I mean, you just, you just have to have a, a balance where, you know, it's funny. You, a lot of people say you remember your losses more than your wins. And it is it is true because, you know, it drives you nuts. But I remember a lot of the wins um, as well because, you know, you work so hard for something and you want to – and you finally obtain it, you know, winning the gold medal, winning national championship, winning state championships, you know, that kind of thing. So, um, but you have to also know that winning isn't everything, you know, like it's, it's an awesome feeling. Um, the the hard work that you put into it. It's nice to, to have that, um, that feeling of winning, you know, winning it all like that. But, um, you know, you know, faith is, is, is very important to me and, 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 you know, you know, being like Jesus as much as I can, even though I always fall short and, you know, my family and and friends and husband is just, uh, you know, that's just so, so much, so much more important than winning. And I think that's what's always, you know, kept me grounded in that way
0: yeah we talked a little bit about this earlier but i I always like to circle back around to it but you've you've been a member of several teams and you actually alluded to this earlier you did play other sports growing up you're actually a fantastic basketball player (laughs) i got to see a lot of that growing up with you and in high school you played in state championships and basketball as well but talk about the importance of team just the idea of team and the mentality that goes into like what creates a great team because i always tell people the best teams are not always comprised of the best players. You know, it takes the certain type of player and the right type of player in the right type of position, but talk about what team means to you and what you learned about the team aspect. I mean, soccer is very much a team game.
1: I mean, yeah, I, you know, I, I play tennis uh, as well and it's different, you know, cause you're by yourself in tennis. So you have to have a different type of mentality. Um, and the, you know, I, it's a matter of inches when it comes especially at the highest level and the inches to to win is mentality mentality um a lot of it and um it, it's it's making that, that decision to follow your mark in the box on, you know, on a corner kick and not let him get the header. So it's, you know, making that extra sprint so that you can overlap a player so you can get that cross in. And, um, even if you're, you know, so tired, um, you got to do it anyways. And I, and I think that mentality is so important and you have to have a good leader, um, which every single one of my teams that won had a good leader, uh, whether it was a coach, whether it was a player, there was always a good leader. Um, and i think a lot of the times my my teams that didn't win i think the leadership was wasn't all, wasn't as cohesive as you wanted it to so i think that um, you know t- being on a team is it's so fun because you learn so much from everybody because everybody does bring a little bit different um, something different to the table. And, and I just love being a part of a team. You have to work through things. It's not always going to be, you know, butterflies and roses. (laughs) I don't know what, but, Mm. um, you know, it, you have to work through it and you have to, um, you know, come together and, you know, have a say like some similar goals together, um, which is fun. You make those goals at the beginning of the year and, and you, um, and you, Find ways to obtain them together and you work hard together and you're, you know, following, falling over after you, you run fitness and you can, you know, barely breathe and sometimes you even throw up. <laughs> um, but it's worth it, you know, because you're doing it together, you're doing it with the team, your teammates. And, um, so I think that, yeah, there is a special thing. Not all, not all of the best players, um, you know, if you have a team just full of, you know, LeBron James's of the world that might not win just because um, you need, you know, Anthony Davis. I don't know why I'm doing NBA. I'm not even a huge NBA fan, but that's what I'm doing. <laughs> it's <laughs> um, relevant
0: right now. It's it's relevant. Related,
1: but, you know, you, you need different parts. And I think that that's what's really cool about, um, you know, teams and uh, and then off the field is so fun, too. So you have that, which is great. And I think if you think about all your my favorite memories, a lot of them we're off the field, you know, type thing. Cause your team is, is, you know, becomes your good friends. Even if you are, you all have different views, you think differently, but you're still a team and you I achieved a goal together.
0: Yeah. There's just a uniqueness about teams. I mean, um, You know, you know, a lot of the guys that I played basketball with in high school. Those are still some of my closest friends. And I know you still share some very close friendships with the folks that you grew up playing soccer with. And it's those bonds. It's the you know, you go through the rough patches, you go through the wins and the losses, and it ultimately brings you together. And and that bond is is very unique. I think that even in individual sports, I I see this trend of. Like golf, for instance, you know, maybe one of the most individualistic sports there is. Obviously, you have a caddy who's out there helping you most of the time. But most of these golfers have teams of people around them Mm -hmm. now. They have a swing coach. They have a putting coach. They have a conditioning guy. They have a caddy. um, and, And you oftentimes hear them refer to. They thank their team, you know, you know, they just happen to be the golfer, the guy that's actually going out there and hitting the ball. Um, Very unique, because I think even some of the most successful golfers, you know, uh, we're recording this the day after the U.S. Open and Bryson DeChambeau just won the U.S. Open. And he talked a lot about his team. There were pictures of him on the driving range, like six or seven people around him. You know coaching him up in these different areas so even the most individual sports on the field on the court wherever still have a team aspect to them Uh, let's move into some advocacy women's rights questions just about sports because i know we talked about that earlier i know that's a a subject that you're passionate about what would you hope to achieve through some of your advocacy efforts uh, around women's sports
1: Um, Well, one thing I was able to do, uh, I spoke in front of Congress for Title IX um, back uh, in 2005, I think it was. Um, And that was, you know, that was, I mean, that was scary, first of all, to speak in front of Congress, (laughs) because the way they have it is they have all the Congress people up on a ledge and you're like down here because they already want to like show that they're in power. Um, And then while I'm doing that, uh, you know, I'm doing it alongside people like Billie Jean King and Dominique Dawes and, um, you know, some J- Jenny Finch, some, uh, you know, incredible um, players from other sports um, there. And we're just, we're talking about, they wanted to, to change the rules of title nine. Um, and the, the way that it was phrased was, it was, it was not a good way to figure it out. They basically sent on email blast to um, all the women at or women athletes on campus and whoever responded, those are the sports that could stay, you know? So if, like, if nobody from soccer responded to the email, then soccer would no longer be at UNC, which is just – I mean, when you're in college, whoever responds to a survey or an email anyways, let's be frank, right? Um, <laughs> so, we, we, we got to do that, which was really neat. Um, and then, you know, now I'm continuing to help with the as, – as much as I can. I can't help all that much. But um, with the U.S. team to, for equal pay, and we had huh. – um, A while ago, we had a conference call with some of the current players and they had with some of us, um, you know, just talking about they were giving us update, asking us for, you know, any advice because I was in on the meetings um, when we were redoing our contract in 2005 as well. And, you know, they they sit across the table, U.S. soccer did. And they were like, you're just lucky to even, you know, be paid, you know, a, a little bit. You know, they had no thought process whatsoever of giving us a you know a proper money um at that they didn't want to fortunately you know julie fowdy started you know she helped us and then it was like me christy rampone kate Markgraf. we were in there just um you know keeping it going with our lawyer because um you have to stand up for for women still and it's not equal pay out there and um fortunately for the players now they have a league and in 2005 we didn't even have a league i didn't i didn't start playing a professional league until 2009 so our whole paycheck came from u.s soccer mm-hmm. um, and so you know that was difficult so it's it's you know using your voice um and getting your team together to do it and all standing your ground together. Cause I'll never forget one of the first times, um, Mia Ham called me and they were going to talks and the talks weren't going well. And there was a trip to, to go with the, with the national team. And she called me and she was like, cause I was at that point I was like on the U21 team. And she was like, if you get asked to go, because we're not going, um, she was like, please say no. Um, because we, if no one goes, then that's going to make a stand, you know? And, I didn't. I didn't know Mia at that point. I hadn't been playing with her, and I mean, of course, Mia Hamm calls, and I'm like, you know, about to pass out because you know she, I've known who Mia Hamm was since I've, since 1991 when they won the World Cup. So I was just like, okay, whatever you say, you know. Um, but we all, you know, teamed up together, the full team, the youth teams, and we said, no, we're not, we're not going to go play because we want, you know, to make a stand, and you know, those little things right there is um, is important for that. And so it's those little things that you know, hopefully keeps helping the future generations.
0: Yeah. So speaking out is obviously a big thing. I mean, we have a lot of ways in today's, in 2020 to speak out, whether it be social media, we're probably more connected than we've ever been. Everybody has somewhat of a voice, but are there some tangible things that, you know, you know, the everyday person can do that maybe doesn't have the microphone or the the network that, you know, a Cat Whitehill has or a Mia Hamm has? What are in your mind, are there tangible things that we can be doing?
1: Talk about it, you know, like, um, I think talking about it is so important. You're hearing that, you know, with all the, the, the racial injustice that's going on and, and, you know, women's rights as well as, is talk to each other about it. And, um, you know, for instance, like my dad and I, we talk a lot about it because, um, I was giving him grief for a long time that he didn't have women's business leaders. So I was like, why is young business leaders only men, you know? And um, and so we talked a lot about it and um, and now they have WBL, which is awesome, you know, mm-hmm. to have that and get women also that are in the business world, especially because his ministry is get them involved in, you know, Bible studies and everything. And, um, but you, you know, it's, it's somewhat how people, you know, were raised and they, to think this way that, um, women shouldn't be paid the same and I don't understand it, but, you know, if I talk to them and they talk to me, maybe, you know, you can come to a conclusion. I just think it's, you know, talk to each other and have an open mind. You know, it's, it's crazy how close-minded people can be. You have, you have to have an, an open mind when and listen You have to listen. Um, so that's just, that's the easiest thing that you can do. And, um, another great thing you can do is vote, (laughs) go out and vote, (laughs) vote for, vote for people that, uh, you know, that will, will help, you know, that these kind of issues.
0: Sure. Absolutely. I'm going to add a little bit of context. Catherine mentioned her dad, YBL is Young Business Leaders. It's here in Birmingham. It's a faith based organization that's built around the professional, you know, men in the professional scene. And it's Bible study based. But to Catherine's point, you know, some of her conversations with her dad were just simply like, well, dad, you have this YBL thing that her dad's been doing for a long time, I Mm -hmm. will say. Yeah. and there hasn't been a women's organization similar. And so, yeah, I think it does. It just starts with a conversation and we all are a product of the environment that we were raised mm-hmm. in. You know, you and I grew up together. We've known each other since we were 5. We're products of the houses and the schools that we were raised in and for the most part those were great, but there were certain challenges that needed to be broken down once we got out of those environments and you know, look, I full disclosure, I I grew up in a double working home two parents at worked and my mom made less money than my dad for essentially the same job at the same place of employment. And so um, without, you can figure that out if you want to, but um, that's not okay. Um, and so um, progress has certainly been made, but there is still a long, long way to go. So um, what are, you know, you you mentioned a little bit of we're having a lot of conversations around race right now. There's still a ton of conversation about women's rights, equal pay. Um, we're seeing a ton of athletes use their platform. It's become, unfortunately, controversial at some level for athletes to use the platform that they've been given or the platform that they've earned in a lot of ways. Um, what do you hope that that people see or hear as a part of some of these demonstrations?
1: Well, I applaud them. I applaud all the demonstrations that, you know, um, you know, I don't like the the saying stick to sports. Um, personally, I think that, you know, we all, um, I mean, all, they're they're everyone's human, you know, they're not just a person that knows how to dribble a basketball or throw a football. And, um, you know, it's, um, I think that, you know, everyone, you have a right to speak out and I don't understand why it's, so controversial. Um, I think that we, you know, everybody's learning, um, you know, as they go. So I can see, you know, you know, wh- why some people don't agree with it or whatever, but, um, you know, I, I, I applaud them. I think it's, you know, a, a great platform. They, you know, they do, they have, they are fortunate enough to have an incredible platform and, um, you know, they've, they've been through, something that I can't say that I've ever been through, you know, for when it comes to race issues. And, um, I, I enjoy listening to them talk so I can learn. Um, and you know, I, I just, you have to, you come together, um, as a team and you still talk. And I like that the conversation conversations are there. Um, I mean, I didn't agree with all my teammates. I've said that already here, but I didn't agree with, you know, some of what they thought, but, and they didn't agree with me, but we still talked about it and you still, um, You know you find you know maybe i'm wrong you know maybe they're wrong you know we don't know but it's good to talk about it and so i I don't like the idea of sticking to sports i think it's great what they're doing and i applaud them and um you know i i hate that it's become political you know i you know it's 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 a game and they're speaking their mind and you know i just uh i wish that it wasn't over you know the terror the reasons behind all of this happening with all the the shootings and everything, I, I just hate it that it's come to, had that that had to happen for this to happen. but um, you know I just uh, I think it's important.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So we we talk a lot about the power of sports at night it's kind of our mantras. we say we believe in sports. Um, you've done a lot of advocacy. your entire career has been built around the platform of sports. You know, give us from your perspective, like how would you describe the power of sports?
1: Um, you know, I think it's a it's a it's to me it's it's almost like a language um out there that you can mm. speak um without um no like no I like I don't know Chinese but I you know. They know what we all know what soccer is, or we you know we mm-hmm. all know what um, basketball is, and I, so I think it's a, a language that can bring communities together. Um, you don't have to know someone. When I see a pickup game, I don't know anyone out there, but I might still go out there and, and ask to play pickup and learn. You know, just uh, and I don't have to talk to them. You know, they might not even speak my language either. But we all know the game, and so I think the mm-hmm. power of sports has a power to bring the world together. Um, and I've always thought that I've always thought that, um, you know, once once you get on the field, you set your differences aside. And like I said, you, you go for the common goal if you're on the team um, and the other team is, you know, they're trying to win, too. So everybody has this common goal. And um, so I just think that's the neatest thing about sports is that um, it can bring a world together um, and, and it doesn't matter you know, race, your class, your gender. Um, it doesn't matter any of that. You can you, you can just play the wonderful game and it doesn't matter how you play. You know, when I, you know, if I'm playing on a pickup game and, you know, they're not very good, I don't care. I just want to play soccer, you know, and um, so it doesn't even matter the skill level. I just, I think that's the the beautiful part of sports and the, you know, the beautiful game.
0: Yeah. we I, I love that analogy. We talk a lot about how sports just, inherently brings people together, mm-hmm. you know, even in competition, 99% of the games end with some form of handshake, congratulations, et cetera. And it is just the mutual respect of, hey, we just played something together. The Olympics is maybe the greatest picture of that because you, you can have countries at war, um, or at political war at some level, and they are, coming together on a soccer field or a baseball diamond or softball diamond or basketball court and they're playing, you know, a certain sport and they're all shaking hands and they're all somewhat friendly for the most part. You know, I mean we're you all look at North
1: Yeah, you look at North and South Korea. They get, they were on the same team in yeah. the last Olympics. You know, yeah. so I'm like, that's crazy if you think about Absolutely.
0: it. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Well cat, we kind of have some quick hitters we like to end with. So these are like super easy questions. First question Who is your favorite athlete?
1: Virgil van Dyke. Do you know who he is?
0: I don't. I kind of feel embarrassed. You've kind of stumped me.
1: (laughs) I'm a big Liverpool fan, and he plays my position. So he's a center back for Liverpool.
0: So you've basically exposed my lack of knowledge of the game of soccer, which is embarrassing. So Yeah, yeah. Um, Favorite sport to watch in person? Soccer. And on TV, (laughs) is it the same?
1: Yeah. I just oh, love well. soccer. I can watch yeah. soccer all day. I went to Anfield, which is where Liverpool is, th- this past December. And uh, it was one of the greatest experiences li- of live sports I've ever been a part of.
0: And your favorite college team is a question we have on here. But I know that answer. But what is your number two? Because uh, you came from a divided family. I
1: did. Um, it's still Georgia, Florida, tied. No one believes me, you but it is. You
0: cannot do that. That is... That is
1: it's crazy. crazy i know you'll laugh at this i made a shirt it says daughter but it's spelled d-a-w <laughs> in red and black and t-o-r in red and blue because it's like dogs and gators so yeah. um my family makes fun of me but my mom didn't realize that it meant like i'm the daughter of a georgia florida fan until this past year wow and i've had it for like 10 years i'm like come, come on man. mom yeah come on in <laughs> do
0: you have a favorite mascot outside of your own school do you have a favorite like fun mascot
1: I will say you gotta go with Uga. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. I guess uh, Uga's a great mascot. You can't beat Uga.
0: that. Ugga is a very good mascot. Yeah. So, well, Kat, thanks for joining us. It was awesome. Great to catch up with you. And and I've had I've enjoyed so much watching your career um, blossom since we graduated high school and all the different things that you're doing. And now I get to see you on TV from time to time.
1: Well, thanks for having me. This was fun. It was fun to to, to talk to you too. It's been a while, so it's good to good to see you.
0: Awesome. Thanks again. Through this series, we'll be talking with some of the most powerful and impactful influencers in the industry. Join us as we explore how their work impacts sports, why sports are such a powerful platform, and how sports can shape our communities. See you next time.